0: Coming up, we'll recap Licensing Expo 2022, discuss Ocean Park Hong Kong's new water park, look at Hershey Park's two new rides, and discuss what three attractions are doing to thrive in the current uncertain time. All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged is our weekly episode covering the top theme park news from each week and discussing why it matters to you. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Trash Network show, we bring the themed entertainment industry to you every weekday. We have news on location coverage and interviews from people around the world. On Mondays, of course, we air Green Tagged, which is our theme parked focus news commentary show. And with that, we'll get into it. Okay, from our studios in Los Angeles and Indianapolis, this is Green Tagged, theme park in the 30s. And I'm one of your co hosts, Philip, from gantam and on trash network and i'm joined by my other co-host scott swenson from scott swenson Creative development and i just got back from licensing expo and i thought we could talk a little bit about the uh recap and what that was like
1: yeah you get to go to all the you get to go, go to all the cool places and all the cool shows
0: i'm uh, indianapolis can be cool i heard that yeah, there's a big event say, there outside your yeah, hotel
1: there's a little thing going on here like as we're recording this and it's um it's a it's a it's a car race you may have heard of i don't know um It's Indianapolis. It's got a number in it. I'm afraid to say it for fear we'll have to pay licensing fees, but um, I've never heard of it. It's a, it's a big deal and it's going on here. Um, Unfortunately I'm working. So uh, well, fortunately I'm working. Don't, I like working. It's a good thing. And um, I'm here for the grand opening of a brand new dolphin presentation at the Indianapolis zoo, um, which I wrote directed and produced. So I'm very excited about that. But, uh, but you get to go to things like licensing fairs, you know, you get to like, see what are all the, what's all the IP and you know, what's the, what's the IP or the intellectual poop on all of this, uh, all of these new, these new licenses. How was the
0: Definitely show? Poo. Um, it's, uh, well, I, I, I really was just there very briefly, but, uh, this year's theme the reason that I went this year's theme by the show organizers was LBE and it was really trying to draw attention to LBE. And I think it's something that we've been talking about forever on the attraction side is licenses, but that's not how it, how, how the conversation has been working in the licensing side of things. They they really have, have been, I guess, I don't know even how to put it, but they're, they've always been coming at it from the more classic approach to looking for you know partnerships for merchandise and for distribution and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And LBE is really new to those folks. So the convention organizers were really trying to open their eyes to the possibility and the opportunity of doing in-person experiences, extensions of their licenses, and developing packages for that. So that was the theme this year. So not everybody there... Kind of was LBE friendly because it's it's still you, it's one of the things where you can tell it's very new and a lot of people have no idea you know a lot of them just are not uh, are not prepared for for that type of uh, avenue. Um, I actually went to some people to get comment on the LBE and and quite a few of them even refused to comment, which is not something that usually happens. I, I will tell you, um, but they just straight up were refused to make any comments. So. Um, So they're they're definitely, it's not like it's, it's, everyone is not jumping on this, this, you know, bandwagon, but there are some early innovators into the space. And I think some of the biggest ones are Feld with their Monster Jam and Hasbro, of course, with, we've talked about their Monopoly and their hotel experiences, whatnot, and Crayola. And we know a few of the folks that have worked on the Crayola and that their experience was the one that started at the Franklin Institute and now is touring around, you know, and, uh we did an interview with Crayola. i did it uh, with In Park magazine and uh, it's out you can we'll link to it in the show notes so you can watch it on uh, YouTube but to just kind of discuss LBE and they're really those those brands are really like full steam ahead into LBE they have seen how successful the in-person experiences are and they're looking to to develop a package like for the the one that's at Franklin to develop a package to take it to more Locations around the globe to really diversify it, uh, so that it it can be step and repeat. But they're even looking at expanding, uh, specifically. Crayola mentioned even expanding into adult markets for some sort of LBE activations, which I'm excited about.
1: Yeah, that could be. I mean, that could be really fun. It does not surprise me that some of these folks who are, and let me oversimplify this. Uh, some of these companies who are uh, so used to let's find someone else who can put our name onto a product yes. and sell X number of units. Um, the problem with any sort of, of live, live interaction or live crossover is on, in the books, it doesn't look nearly as profitable or nearly as, as cut and dried as, um, as the sale of, of hard units, as the sale of, of widgets, for lack of a better description. Um, and that frightens a lot of business people, especially if they've done their whole life about, you know, let's, let's sell our name and our brand to, um, mom and pop toy company, and they will make toys with our name and our brand, and we will make a ton of money. And we won't have to do really anything other than represent the, the toy and the brand. Um, I, I think it's interesting because they, I don't think they also understand that brand recognition now. Is something that crosses well beyond their own market. You know, we, we have um, we have something that we may be getting to in the show later, where there is a brand that has absolutely nothing to do with theme park that is being e- embraced and uh, and extolled in the in a, a live experience. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that it's I think it's short sighted thinking, um, yeah. but I do understand why it's there because I even find that locally with uh, with some of my clients when I try to engage the culinary or the merchandise team into an existing um, festival yeah. or event. And they just don't understand that by being part of the event, it benefits and draws more attention to them. And they're like, well, I just can't afford to have my my popcorn stand open, or I don't want to do flavored popcorn. That's themed to your event because what do I do with the extras? Or I don't want to create t-shirts for this event because what do I do with the extra? They thinking of it like, um, standard retail. And as we've talked about multiple times, standard retail is changing significantly and retailtainment is becoming a whole, whole monster in and of itself. So, uh, this is sort of enter, enter tail, I don't know. This is uh, this is more of the. yeah, I know I, that wasn't even close. But um, this was this is more of the, uh, the the flip side of that, where you're leading with the entertainment side, and uh, attaching to it some sort of licensing of of a retail product like Crayola, for example. So um, so anyway, that's that's kind of my take on it. I, I think I understand why, but it's a it's a it's why the reason they're the reason they're leery of it is because they don't understand how it works and they don't yeah. see that it's a great way to leap forward um, and eventually sell more widgets as opposed to let's just focus on selling widgets.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I will say we are seeing progress and I think that was why the, the show organizers put that theme together is to draw attention to it. And there were quite a few attractions industry and the entertainment professionals there you know Falcons was exhibiting there. Falcons Creative Group, um, right. with their own extension there, their booth and extension, um, that was a big step. And even some of our friends that we know, like Nico from the Gaylord Palms, he was there. And so I think kind of the the innovators in our space are aware of this, and they are there. And I, I would say to our listeners, you know, there are a lot of people that there that were open to the concept, but just didn't know. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to maybe pick up an IP. Or pick up something you could build an experience around, and it, it can be small. For example, there were two that I was shocked at. One was the Elf on the Shelf was there, and they are debuting a a physical show called Elf on the Shelf Magical Experience, and with with Elf on which with elves, and they had elves there that were dressed as the Elf on the Shelf characters that were doing acrobatics, and it's like a magical Christmas show, and. They were there. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things where they they couldn't comment to me about it, so I couldn't get anything on it because they couldn't they didn't want to talk about it until they had details for the experience already kind of nailed in. But you know they, they already had developed that that type of concept, and even there was a hunt a killer, which is a I think it really got popular during the pandemic, but it was like a it's like a box killer puzzle game that you get mailed to you and you do it with your friends where you hunt a killer Well, they're doing an in-person experience with sets that you walk through that's escape game-ish up in San Francisco. And so they also were not available for comment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and again, you know, it sounds like you're having, you were getting no comment from both sides. Yeah. It sounds like you're getting no comment from people who are afraid to try it. And you're getting no comment for people who are so bleeding edge that they didn't really want to, you know, um, share all the details quite yet because they're still, probably still being developed, um, mm-hmm. probably still being fine-tuned. It's interesting that you mentioned Gaylord Poems. Gaylord Poems is, has been really a very, um, it has been in the forefront of yeah. activation, whether it is licensed or not, uh, even if it's just branded to them or if it's a, a generic thematic concept. Um, to, and and their, their approach, I think, is brilliant. It's like, if we can give people more things to do, we will sell more rooms. It's that simple. Yep. And and I know, you know, we both know, Philip and I both know, uh, several companies that have been very much involved in the installation of these kinds of things. And, uh, they have had great success so much so that they're spreading it to all their properties. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they were there. So good for you, Nico. Good job.
0: Well, okay. Well, the big takeaway then is don't be afraid to reach out and consider attending next year. So you can f- see the people or look now at the list of people who are there and available. And uh, We'll move on now. Our next story is back, back to Ocean Park. I feel like uh, we should have a little like cue or like a an audio.
1: Just have a uh, wave transition. that comes across. Yeah. Here we are back Ooh. in Ocean Park.
0: So uh, their their new water park is is kind of set up and and running now, and there is a great deep dive um, from Michael Switow. I'm not pronouncing his last name right, but but Michael who who co-wrote uh, the the previous book. Uh, about that area. So he's, he's a great uh, journalist in the area. And he wrote a deep dive into the construction of the water park for Fun World. And uh, it's great. And what I especially like about it is it goes into some of the challenges that they were facing with the design and construction. I'm going to read just a few excerpts from it here to give you an idea Uh, Viewed from the air, Waterworld Ocean Park Hong Kong is an unrivaled amazing feat of design and construction anchored onto the slope of a mountain along the shore of the South China Sea. A decade in the making, this all-weather, year-round water park is built vertically over 700,000 square feet of land and features 27 indoor and outdoor attractions spread across a series of terraced platforms and wave pools. Let's see. And in terms of the challenges for the construction some of the some of the specific challenges were valley streams that needed to be diverted a challenge made more difficult by seasonal typhoons <laughs> even more technically taxing were the geological conditions the hillside rocks were intrinsically poor consisting of places with completely decomposed granite the project would have been virtually unbuildable if not for the latest digital technology of the time including modeling built on photo photo Gramic analysis. <laughs> the team took thousands of overlapping photos with drone flyers, conducted laser scans, and then ran them through a sophisticated scheduling and simulation app called 4D Sync Pro. So we talked about we we kind of talked about this whole saga right of Ocean Park where they've they changed cool. leaderships, they gone back and forth, and they the nutshell was kind of like the old model they decided wasn't working. So what they did was they closed down some of the pieces of it, and they're going to make part of it into like a universal city walk type of thing. And the other part, they were going to develop into this this water park. And I, I think it wasn't clearly spelled out as to exactly why, but what I would hazard to say is really just competitive edge. You know, they want to lean into the natural environment, which is why they put it on the cliff. And they also need to com- contrast with Hong Kong Disney, which is rides and IPs and all this kind of stuff we've been talking about. So so if you can't do that or if you can't outcompete Disney, what can you do? Well, you can lean into the natural area and you can create a year-round water park which which is the only year-round water park in this area. So for us on this side of things, you know, it may seem not that innovative because we have year-round water parks, but Hong Kong does not have one. This is the first one. The guests are not trained for this like it's really it does sit competitive, competitively very different from the, the other attractions in the area, I think now, and especially with, uh, with this. And so I, I just think it's such a great idea. I, I'm always impressed by the strategic planning. <laughs> I guess we'll see how well it does because unfortunately, Hong Kong is still closed to visitors. So you know, people can't come in yet. Uh, they, they're anticipating a million visitors once the lockdown is lifted and and people can come visit but i think that the the overall positioning and them investing to create something that is a whole unique experience is very differentiated i think this is all very smart
1: yeah and it's clear that it's clear that ocean park you know they're they're building in they're building when hong kong is hong kong is closed so it's yeah. clear that they are they are um Gambling on the fact that when it opens, they need to be ready, present, uh, accounted for, and and ready to welcome these new guests with open arms. So you know it's 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 a challenge because we we still don't know exactly what's going to happen. You yeah. know we we've, we've still sort of uh, waffled and vacillated on on what's really going on with this pandemic, and not just in the, here in the United States, obviously around the world. So um, I think that's. I think this is, as you say, I think this is a very interesting strategic move. I, I think it is, a, it appears to be wise based on all the things that we've seen. The other thing that I think is interesting is, you know, when you say, uh, when there, there were three, there were three things that, that you mentioned in the, in the read through, it was, um, year round water park built vertically, mm-hmm. um, and indoor, oh, and terrace platforms. So it's like, Uh, so basically they've taken a steep slope and turned it into a water park. Yep. That in and of itself is going to get some press. It's going to get notoriety. And one of the things that I've noticed, um, of attractions just in general, more and more attractions, and this I think is especially true outside of the United States, but more and more attractions are getting attention just because they're unique, uh, architectural structures and like really unique architectural. There are places that are just really cool bridges that people Mm -hmm. go to. Uh, people like really cool observation points that have water flowing from them that are, that are really popular on social media and they get all kinds of social media buzz. So this sounds like it's kind of falling into that same category and then adding a layer on top of it, which is a year round water park, which again, uh, hopefully they'll be able to quickly train their, their audience. And uh, it sounds like they will be relying once Hong Kong is open again, they will be relying heavily on tourism. So yeah. um, it sounds like a good move. I think we need to keep our eye on this because we've kind of been uh, we've kind of been ushering this through since the since the shutdown of this area, and now that it's being redeveloped, um, hopefully it will have a very happy ending. I think that's yeah. really
0: cool. I do want to underscore something that you brought up, which is the unique landscape. That's another reason I think that this is so smart because they are. I think they're they're noticing definitely that trend of people liking nature and liking just unique experiences, it, architecturally unique experiences, and building that into it. And also, I think it's a takeaway for us for, and for the listeners. The part about this not being possible until recently—I mean, of course, yeah—building something on a steep cliff like that, where pieces of granite is the road, like that's crazy, and it would have been impossible, you know, just not that long ago. So, it, I think it's also a reminder to us and other trashies listening that. Technology has advanced. So if, if our parks are 30, 40, 50 years old and there was stuff that we couldn't do 30 years ago, we might be able to do it now. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've always I've always been of the ilk, never use the excuse, well, we tried it before and it didn't work mm-hmm. because that's going to be that excuse, especially now because technology is growing and changing yeah. ever, ever so quickly. And uh, you know, if you've got a good idea, sometimes it's okay to sit on it for a while. Mm-hmm. So, if you're looking for what's next and what's new, go back to what you didn't do before and see if the situation has changed. Um, that may be a real strong benefit, especially to to parks who have a lot of creativity but not a lot of capital, or not don't have the ability to do a lot of capital investment. Go back to some of your old ideas because now they may be affordable or they may be possible. Yeah.
0: Well. I don't know, it doesn't really fit into the things that are possible. Well, maybe it does. Uh, yeah, well, it does, cause, yeah. Cause, okay, I'll take. I'll take this, I'll make this transition for you, Philip. Okay, do it.
1: <laughs> so, if somebody had said, we're going to, this kind of ties us back to licensing and what is now possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If someone had said to you, we're going to build a, uh, we're going to build a roller coaster that is themed um, on candy. <laughs> somebody would say to you, you're going to what? That's the IP? Um, and of course, if you're going to do this, where would you do it? Hershey Park, makes total sense. So um, Hershey Park is gonna debut two new rides. And uh, here it says, members of the media and special guests got a sneak peek of the two new attractions opening at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania on Saturday. The Jolly Rancher Remix Roller Coaster is a reimagined version of the park's Sidewinder ride featuring new elements, while the new Mixed Flavor by Jolly Rancher will have arms that lift and drop riders while spinning backwards and forwards. So here are two new attractions Themed off of a sugary treat, and of course it makes total sense. It's on brand for for Hershey to do it. But this is that example I was talking to you about, where you, a while back you, you go to a candy company, unless you happen to be Hershey Park. But you go to if you you go to a candy company and say we want to build a roller coaster that's based on your product, and they'd look Hershey at you like what, what? you what? Mm-hmm. But it's happening, and you know Hershey Parks built a whole park on Hershey. But I mm-hmm. honestly believe that something like this would fly in any park if they were to, you know, it doesn't necessarily, we are so going past needing to only look at IPs that are entertainment related. We are looking outside of that realm. We're looking at things like Crayola. We're looking at things like M&Ms. We're looking at things, you know, looking at things like Jolly Rancher and having the opportunity to create new product and new synergies between the retail world and the entertainment world that will benefit both. And I think this is just a great example of a couple of things that we've talked about here.
0: Yeah, I there's not much else. It's a pretty kind of short story on that one to say. So I think we should move right on. Move sure. right along.
1: With all of the with all of this new stuff, obviously uh, staffing is still an issue, and yes. uh, it's still a huge issue. And yeah. you, uh, Philip, you you found this great story about the Idaho coast, an Idaho coaster company, and how yeah. they're fighting their labor shortage.
0: This might be my favorite story from this week because I I just love it. I think it's so simple. So this is from the Rocky Mountain Construction, and basically they're having a labor shortage still that's affecting their businesses nationwide, um, and the president said the company has had the most trouble hiring for skilled trades like welding, which is a critical step in the coaster manufacturing process. Of course it is, and these are uh, these kind of high skilled things are. Are th- something I think that we forget about often in theme parks that there's really high skilled pieces that come together to create all this, and it's not done by the parks. And I think a lot of fans maybe have that misconception that you know Disney makes everything themselves. They do not, <laughs> they do not, and, uh, and so in fairness,
1: nor does Universal nor does Six Flags. No. N- nobody, it's, nobody and does. In fact, and in fact, it's not even the parks don't even make up the regulations, the rules and regulations yeah. thing. That comes from the manufacturer because they're the experts. So it requires this level of skill.
0: And uh, so Tor said that this was not a problem before the pandemic. Once businesses started to increase after shutdowns lifted, the RMC has not received nearly the number of quality applications as they were receiving pre-pandemic. And just a comment on that too. That is exactly also something that Scott and I was talking about is that um, pre-pandemic, you had this level of interest, right? And then now that level has just is just not there. And who, you know, there are so many reasons who everyone has their own theory as to what the, the, the reason is. And I'm going to say, it's usually, it's a mix of everything. Every reason you've heard out there from some of them have passed away or some have moved or some have re retrained and some are still at home with their kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like
1: some have decided they just don't want to work as hard as they once did.
0: Some, have discovered, new interest.
1: Yeah. some have discovered a new interest that is just as, as uh, yeah. profitable for them.
0: Yeah. So the company decided to take a unique approach to recruiting process to offset their trouble hiring in addition to raising so this is also key too. In addition to raising rates, extra vacation, improved benefits and sign-on bonuses. So they did everything that everybody else did. They're also starting a welding apprenticeship program. They will hire people with little to no welding experience, with the intention of training them to become certified welders. After announcing the new program, they received over 150 applications—that's dozens more than they typically get every week.
1: Yeah. I, again, it's it sounds it's like the brilliant. Right, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the right way to go. I mean, it's it, let me put it this way: it's cheaper than offering tuition reimbursement. Yes, it is. Yeah, and it's training them specifically for. The, the job that you need them to do uh, on a much, 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 much smaller scale. Um, I've even done this when it comes to auditioning. Uh, if we can't mm-hmm. get um, mm-hmm. if we can't get performers to audition, I've actually gone out to local universities and taught an audition course, where the last segment of the the workshop or the, the training program was an actual audition for whatever project that I happen to be working on. So that they got not only how to, but also practical experience in auditioning. So this whole idea of of mentorship and uh, mentorship to become certified um, is is so important, so great, And, and I'll be honest, not really new, I mean, in mm-hmm. many cases with theme parks, you know, they would uh, if you were if they were hiring somebody to be a tram driver or they were hiring someone yeah. someone to to drive a forklift, the companies would pay for these individuals to get their CDL to get their certification um, to drive whatever. So it's always been done, but to lead with it and to do it before you're even hired. Uh, to me that's great and and not only i think it's great not only for the for the individual who are looking for jobs but i think it's also really good for the company because they're going to as they're training these people they're going to train them exactly the way they want them trained yeah. they're going to make it so that these people when they get their certification they know exactly where they got their certification what they had to go through the, to get it what uh, you know certifying parameters there were, what criteria there was. So they're going to get better employees and, and more of them. So uh, yeah, good, good for you guys. That was, that's smart.
0: And I think that to your point, this has been around a while. This is like an old idea that is repackaged in something new, which we talked about a lot, but you know, those of you that are listening, take advantage of this. Cause I, this is something like to Scott's point, anybody listening can do. Anyone can do that. I was just thinking too, even haunted houses you could do a scare actor apprenticeship program and you could train them to be scare actors because we get we, we there's all this perceived nonsense that gets in the way when people are looking to apply to a job right so some of that is i'm not a trained actor and i've never done this before so i know blah 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 or you know for you know for even for us at gantum you know we we can train the person in our products we can we can handle all this but a lot of people um don't or they they maybe psych themselves out. And so if you can change that perspective and you can tell them up front, this is an apprenticeship program, you will be handheld and you'll be taken. And a lot of people want that. You know, a lot of a lot of people too, they they want, especially now, I think the way that employment has changed, a lot of people miss that mentorship. And telling them up front that you're gonna be it's a dedicated mentorship program, I think that's that's a big deal too.
1: And if you're afraid to do it completely on your own, reach out to your local community colleges or universities um, and see if you can can sort of piggyback on what they're doing. Because so, and some will tell you absolutely not; they won't be interested. But there are some out there who are very interested in getting practical application um, for their students. And yeah. um, I, I know a, a perfect example is is uh, my friends at University of Tampa um, in their dance program. Um, the person who runs the dance program also does choreography for many theme parks and zoos and attractions. And Mm -hmm. she's always trying to get to give students the opportunity to audition and get some practical professional experience under their belt before they graduate. So
0: couldn't hurt. Okay. Well, our, We have two stories left. And our last two stories both had to deal with kind of the aftershocks that we're still dealing with with the pandemic. Uh, The first is that the Milwaukee County Zoo is now requiring masks inside all buildings. The zoo is requiring all its visitors to wear masks inside all zoo buildings beginning Monday. The news comes after the Centers for Disease Control Prevention transitioned Milwaukee County into the highest level for community transmission. And just that's basically it. The only other note is that the, uh, the local... Health department put out kind of a recommendation that people wear masks where they didn't require anything. So this is specifically an attraction that is going beyond the local recommendations and instituting a mask policy on property. So that's that that's a thing to be aware of.
1: Yeah, I think you just need to be aware of it because again, we keep yeah. thinking that we're out of the we're out of the woods. We're not. Um the numbers show it. Um being based in Florida, the numbers show it in a very scary way um so it's i think it's important to recognize that you need to be aware of what's going on regionally locally so that you can not just say well nobody in the country's wearing them well but here's a situation where it's spiking in this area so um the milwaukee county zoo has has made the choice and has communicated it very clearly this is our policy and You know, everyone's afraid to do well, not everyone. Some people are afraid to do that because they're afraid it's going to hurt their attendance. But I would venture to say there are just as many out there who are like, Okay, I'll put on a mask. I feel good about that. Um, I just from a personal I'll throw my personal note out there. They don't require masks on planes either. But you see that I'm not in Tampa, so I didn't walk here. Um, and I still wear a mask whenever I travel in the air. Uh, mainly because I traveled through most of most of the covid whenever there was tra- whenever I could travel I was required to because of my job and I was masked or double masked in many cases and it, I have not I've not gotten covid and uh, I've not gotten any other of the strange diseases that I normally get when i when I travel so you know no flu none of that mm. um, so I'm going to continue to do it it's a personal choice and I I think it runs along the same lines as the Milwaukee county Zoo making that institutional choice so, Feel free to do that if you want to.
0: Now, our final story is that the San Antonio Zoo is bringing back their drive-through zoo experience for select nights in June. The zoo says that tickets to the original 2020 experience sold out within two hours. The high demand led the zoo to keep the program going months longer than it had originally intended. And they shared this concept with other zoos and theme parks across the globe. And they're bringing it back now in 2022. And to me, it looks like they're. this is actually... A little, another one of those like small, brilliant innovations because it looks like they're almost making the second gate because the timing is a little bit later in, in the evening and it's a price per car. So it's almost like a second gate that they're able to add in uh, by just having, by just really moving things around so people can drive through and closing it to, to daytime visitors and then charging you per car. So it's almost like they're turning their zoo into like a little mini dark ride that they can open later at night so they can do like a, a second gate. So I think it's brilliant.
1: And people who are concerned about uh, being in large crowds, obviously there's yep. them an opportunity to come it. out. Yep. And uh, it also, if you have small children, uh, having been in a zoo for the last two days, surrounded by a bunch of families with very small children, keeping them in a car might just be the easiest way to go to a zoo, just saying. All right, well, we are out of time. So uh, thank you for being here for yet another week of Green Tag Theme Park in 30. On behalf of Philip and myself, Uh, tell all your
0: friends and we'll see you next week okay that's it for green tag we'll catch you back here tomorrow for our weekly roundup of haunt news today's episode was produced and edited by me philip hernandez with post-production by david swope support for this episode comes from gantam lighting and controls see what you're missing with a free demo sign up at gantam.com slash demo we release a free weekly industry newsletter sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes the Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Luis Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. Oh!